There's no way out I've got to show them what I've become There's no doubt Got my back to the wall And I'm still hanging on There's no way Troubles in my life have been all the same With a strain in my mind getting hurt again There's a pain in my heart but it's just a game Gotta get over it, won't go insane Won't achieve anything while I'm down Don't wanna give out, my heavyweighted frown I'm stopping this now, I'ma turn it around Heaven's on the ground, now I'm looking at the clouds Gonna make a change, like a change, bigger getting changed Gonna stay the same with my mind frame rearranged Gonna watch the blue out my mind, out my eyes Was I blind in my mind, cause that was old times Cause I'm starting fresh with a clear vision You can even spell my name in optimism Just track the M's, an I and the P And then what you're left with is me Welcome to tonight's episode of the Zod Ryder Show. I am Zod Ryder, and with me tonight, I have a special guest co-host, co-hosting with me tonight from, from the uh, from the roundtable show that we do here on PSN Radio on Sunday nights, Mr. Johnny Alpha. Welcome to the Zod Ryder Show. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, no problem, man. You know I'm a fan of the show, and I, I do anything to help you out, brother, so I'm, I'm just really happy to be here tonight. Man, it's great. It's great to have you here. Uh, shout out to uh, Victoria, who's taking a little bit of a vacation this week. Hope, hoping that she's uh, feeling better. Both her and I are are suffering from being sick. I've been sick for the last couple of weeks. You know, sore throat, headache, all that kind of great stuff. But I'm feeling great, feeling good, medicated tonight, ready to do the show. And so, what we have for you tonight, our very special guest. Uh, we have a, he's an author, an illustrator, he's, he's a fantastic artist, Mr. Pete Hernandez III. He's going to be our guest uh, momentarily on the Zod Rider Show. But uh, prior to Pete getting on, I just wanted to have a brief uh, discussion with uh, Johnny Alpha here. Before we got on the air, him and I were talking about uh, the movie Ghost in the Shell which is uh, a live-action film that is starring Scarlett Johansson based off of a very popular uh, anime from the 1980s. And I got a chance to check it out finally, and uh, Johnny has seen it, and he gave a really interesting review of it on the Roundtable show uh, the last time we had a live episode. And so, you know, I wanted to talk briefly with you, Johnny, um, about Ghost in the Shell. Um... I think that for an American adaptation of something that is so beloved by so many around the world that they did a pretty decent job with the material. They tried to cram a lot of stuff in there that really, that maybe they shouldn't have. And I don't know, maybe a straight up adaption of the original source material would have been a great way to go for a live action movie. But I I don't know. I I, I think they did 
the typical Hollywood thing. So I, like you, was not really expecting uh, too much from Ghost in the Shell. Um, I see. I see what you mean, though. Yeah, they did. They, they um. They saw how popular the original movie was, and they saw how loved Standalone Complex was, particularly the second gig. So they tried to work in stuff from the second gig of Standalone Complex into the original story, while at the same time dumbing down both stories to the point of, you know, your regular Hollywood action films. So what we got, it was... It, it passed, you know, it's a C-minus movie, but it definitely didn't deserve all the hate that it got and all, and being as big of a bomb as it was. It, it, it's rather depressing, in my opinion. And one only has to look at the Japanese response to the film. It's beloved. They, they fucking love it over there, man. Like, it was a huge hit with the fans, with um, Shiro Matsumoto. I don't know about the guy that actually directed the first anime. I know he's pretty pretentious. I don't know how he felt about it. I need to read up on that. But um, for the most part, it was very well received in its land of origin. And I think that some weeaboos over here in the United States need to look at that and buck up and see that you're not the authority on this just because you like it. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's I think that's a good point. I mean, I I I, I go back to something that uh, my guest from last week, Mr. Bay Logan, had to say about uh, Ghost in the Shell because he pointed it out, and we're we're going to ask Pete about Ghost in the Shell when he comes on the show tonight. But what? But one of the things that he had pointed out was he had said that you know there was all this controversy about uh, whitewashing, about not casting like an Asian actress to play the major in Ghost in the Shell and it's an Asian character but if you actually look at the cart at the animated film the major is has you know white features in the in the film well well a so lot of you, you can of make like, an argument that um a lot of people try to say that oh that's just how um Mangas are uh, mangas and animes are drawn with the big eyes, but they're still technically supposed to be Asian. Right. But if, if you do look at the characters in Ghost in the Shell, they they are very Caucasian, even more so than your average anime. And another thing I like to try to point out to people is. Uh, the major Motoko Kusanagi, it, she never had a full body, and she never had a real body. When she was born, her brain was put into a cybernetic body, so she never had a form. That's part of her whole thing about like not knowing if she's real or not. So, the fact that she could pick any body she wanted at any time kind of makes it so that she could be a goddamn white girl if she wanted to be. End of story. She's a full-body oh, oh, yeah. cyborg. She doesn't it's, have to worry about right. you know, just having to replace an arm or anything. Exactly, and you know, I, I, but he had also, uh, May Logan had also made a good point about how if you take a movie that is adapted from the Japanese and they adapt a movie that is, say, something from English or some China, or they adapt a movie from you know the United States into something theirs, they use all Asian actors and actresses in their adaptions of films. It's not like they turn around and cast. You know, if they're adapting, say they're adapting Rocky, and they and they get and they well, get, perfect some, example get somebody is, white, you know, to play Rocky, they'll get an Asian guy to play Rocky. Perfect example, though, is the Korean movie, The Good, the Bad, and the Weird. It is it's kind of a spoof and a takeoff on it, but it very heavily follows the movie, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Right. It, and um, yeah, no, it, it had all the big Korean stars of the time in it, and that movie's loved over here. It's loved in Korea. But also, like, Bay Logan was, um, back to your Bay Logan point, I need to go back to the way the Japanese 
responded to when I've actually seen several news stories where people went over and talked to just random Japanese anime fans, schoolgirls, whatever, if they had a problem with Scarlett Johansson playing a Japanese character, and they did not. They asked some, most of them thought it was a cool idea. Obviously, they can't see how bad of an actress she is because language problems or whatever, but whatever, you know what I mean? Like, she at least delivered in this film pretty well, better than usual, the, better and, than in her know, Marvel movies. And she definitely does have a, have a look. I, I did like her in this She's movie. She's got the booty to play the major, especially from standalone complex, because, like, the major had a booty in that thing, and, like, Scarlett definitely lived up to that aspect of it. No Japanese girl has a booty like that. Well, there you go. What we're going to do right now, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we are going to have our guest of, for tonight's show, Pete Hernandez III. You are listening to the Zod Rider Show on psn-radio.com. <laughs>
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Zod Rider Show on PSN-Radio.com. And Johnny Alpha and myself are very pleased to welcome Mr. Pete Hernandez III to the show. Welcome, Pete. Hey, guys. It's, it's, a, it's, a, ple- it's a pleasure to have you here. It's been a long time uh, since... Uh, since we all hung out with you, you were, you know, last time you were on PSN Radio, you were a member of the roundtable show that we still do on uh, Sunday nights. What have you been up, what oh, have you wow, been up to? <laughs> it's been a couple oh. of years. <clears throat> yeah, really. Um, well, wow, since the roundtable, uh, fo- I focused on my series Company Man for, for several, several years and got a bunch of issues uh, under my belt before I got involved in putting together a graphic novel project, which I'm currently in the middle of, uh, called War Dogs. So I've been between that and freelancing and, you know, going out occasionally here and there to take a break from artwork. It's just been primarily that, just artwork and writing. So you're so primarily right now, are you how's how's War Dogs coming along? Because I've been seeing a lot of your great artwork and stuff in regards to war dogs and i mean it all looks terrific how's the graphic novel coming oh it's coming along great i mean the whole thing i wrote the whole thing last year and in december i started illustrating pages in a, a pretty steadily you know up until then while i was writing i would stop every now and then to do character designs uh to do promos and teasers and it was also there was a lot of a lot of Facebook chat because I was dealing with people from all around the world, um, Asians uh, who were actors and rappers and, and IT specialists and bankers and singers and whatever, you know, getting their photo reference to make them characters in the story. Because one of the things, one of my, my, my goals was to draw Asians in comic book form appropriately, the way they actually look instead of just faking it and doing the generic Asian face that you see all the time in Marvel or DC. So I got, you know, so locked into that, I couldn't do it without real people contributing their images. So that made the process a little bit longer. But in the end, I'm really happy with uh, the way things are coming along. I'm a little bit past the midway point of book one as far as illustrating so I should be done, I hope to be done by June and have it ready for digital release by then. But um, personally, it's, I think it's one of the most solid projects I've ever put together. Like, it's really strong. Um, it's dramatic. It's violent. It's raunchy. It's got a bit of dark humor. Um, it's definitely rated R. It's not for kids. So, you know. You know, I can't, I can't advise anybody to get it for their children if they're like under, say, 18. But, uh, yeah, I'm really happy with it. I mean, I really am. I, re- I really think that it'll sell itself. You know, I'm going to have to get the word out, of, of course, through social media and, you know, interviews like this and, so, and, and uh, you know, other, other media, other websites. But... Um, yeah. Can you give us a brief synopsis on the story, just kind of a rundown on what it's about? Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, A former gang member changes his identity and works his way into MI5 and and creates a whole new life for himself as a MI5 agent. And one of his old friends from the gang 
resurfaces after several years seeking his help, and he wants to get out of the gang. So he stole some data from the gang's uh, uh, mainframe and wants to use it as as a bargaining chip to get um, witness protection to to you know change his life and get out of the gang forever. And the process of getting together and helping his friend draws him back into conflict, of course, with the triad. And during this conflict, during all this action that ensues, a lot of secrets are revealed between the field leader of the triad and the main character. There's like a connection. There's a connection between the two. They, that, they knew each uh, other back in his gang days, basically, right? Yes, right. They knew each other when both were in the gang. And there's a, you know, some, some stuff, some secrets between the two of them that nobody else in the gang knows that will come out during the, all this conflict. And um, there's also a conspiracy that's part of the plot that I can't say too much about without ruining the whole thing. But it, invo- it, def- it involves a, uh, a corporation in Hong Kong that actually run that actually controls the war dogs, you know, from a distance. Like the war, like this particular book deals with the war dogs faction in England, but there are factions all over the world. Gotcha. That sounds, that pretty, sounds pretty rad. Wait. And now when it gets released, is it going to be released as a graphic novel or are you doing it individual as like an individual issues kind of a thing? Well, I wrote I wrote the entire the entire story was 200 pages. Oh, but okay. I realized that was that was too big to release all at once. Just be just I mean, I'm doing it all on my own. I'm writing, you know, illustrating, you know, penciling, inking, coloring, lettering, the whole deal, promoting it, you know, all that. So it definitely taking a while. And I thought doing the whole 200 pages at once would just be too much and would take too long. And I really had people, you know, people have been, you know, uh, uh, on me to dying to see it. So I thought it would be, be-, be better to break it up into three books and then put the first book out digitally, then kickstart the printed version. While that's going on, I'll work on the second one. But I also wanted to test the waters and make sure that the people that want it really want it. So if the demand is strong enough, I believe that'll that'll merit doing book two and three. So, so how do you feel about the whole whole digital element here? I mean, are you because that's what you're saying? You're saying initially you're going to release the book digitally. I mean, do you feel that that's that's a great medium for independent artists? Or where where are um, you on the yeah. fence with digital? I'm 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 not on the fence. I appreciate um I appreciate the traditional hard copy, but I became a fan of of reading comics digitally when comics when when the when the floppies went up to 2.99. I was I stopped buying back. I stopped buying comics back then and just started getting them digitally. And just for me, it's less clutter. That and you know it's it's the closest thing you're gonna get to getting it directly from the artist's computer. You know the digital copy. So I'm a big fan of it. I know that there's that you know the 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 community is still split. Some people love digital. Yeah. Some people love hard copy. But I think as you know technology as it becomes friendlier and friendlier and more portable, digital will rise and print will shrink. But if, if that's cre- not already. But you as a creator, you as a creator, though, you don't get as much money out of a digital copy as you would from a hard copy. So I was wondering um, if that would influence your um, at least you wanting to 
put it in um if people if there is a demand for it would that influence you into like actually kind of adopting more of a hard copy philosophy because you know your digital a book you'll probably charge it for charge it for about what eight bucks when um mm -hmm. you could probably put a trade paperback out for um 16 17 dollars that's true but i since i freelance you know and make money uh by by doing graphics graphic design for whoever gets a hold of me i'm not really that that worried about money as, as you know not to sound like some artsy fartsy dude but i didn't do it to make a, a ton of money i'm more realistic than that i mean i've wow. known since i was a i've known since i was a teenager in high school um you don't get into comics for money you get into comics because you have to do comics because you I love it I just and have to you tell you, it. It, it is so amazing to hear you say that because I actually know quite a few like kind of um, semi-famous comic book creators on you on Facebook, and uh -huh. most of them complain and whine about the digital copies and them not getting paid enough for it. So I just got to say, man, I got mad props for you for just admitting that and saying that like a like an actual fan. You know that that is beautiful. That, yeah, I I love if I was. Now, if I was just, I think the people that the, the creators, like the ones you mentioned, who are against digital copy because it's cutting into their profit margin, because that's, that's all they can do. Like they can maybe, you know, just speculating, maybe they just can't market themselves in any other way or make money any other way. So, the comp, you know, selling hard copies is their, their only means of income. So it's gonna, they're going to have a certain point of view that's going to be different from mine, but you know, I keep my life as simple as I can as far as the things that I need. And as long as rent and bills and food are taken care of, I don't really need much else. I have pretty much everything I need. So I don't, I'm not one of those people that's constantly running out buying dumb shit to fill a void. I have art to fill that void. And telling stories and, and creating artwork uh, satisfies that need. So, you know, I don't have to spend, so I don't need as much money as some people. Um, and I really just want to put the story out. I mean, of course, I want to make something off of it. I'm not, uh, you know, living in a dream world, but I can make money on I can make money in other ways. I can, you know, I can do uh, an album cover for somebody or a logo and make a couple of hundred bucks right then and there. And that'll tie me over for a while. And um, then I can, you know, in between gigs I'll, or even during a gig while I'm waiting for a client to get back to me with changes. I'll jump right into Photoshop and start working on another War Dogs page. And then when, they, when the email comes and they send me their changes, I'll jump back to freelance, do that, send it out again, and while waiting for their tweaks or changes, I'll go back to the graph analysis. Like I, I want to do it because I got to do it. I'm, you know, it'll make money or it won't. I mean, I'm just not in it to get rich. It's just not why you do comics. Yeah, I no, mean, I've I had some of the... I've had legends in comics tell me that when I was like 14 years old in a comic book club in high school. Peter David told me that. Um, Jim Shooter. Um, God, I'm trying. I, I just I'm, heard. I'm Ed, I just heard Ed Brubaker say it at a, um image. I was watching a video of um, they were at a con. It was the Image panel. He was up there with like Rick Remender and stuff. And that's basically what they were all telling the fans. Like. Uh, some guy asked him, he, I, he was an aspiring writer, and that's basically what they all told him. And that's some of the best and the brightest out, out there making the comics people are reading, telling them, that, mm -hmm. like, dude, you don't, you don't make millions doing this. You make thousands no. if you're lucky. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. You if you you know what it is. I feel like a lot of the oh, I don't I, I don't know if it's over the last ten years or the last twenty years, whatever. But I feel like a lot of the guy once once the Marvel movies started to make hundreds of millions of dollars and break the billion dollar line, you know, some of these creators saw that saw comics as their stepping stone into movies. And the problem with that is a lot of these guys are just hands. They're just a pair of hands. They're just the popular hands of the moment. And they're not creating anything. They're just drawing what's being handed to them in script form. And uh, that's really not going to get them into that multi-billion dollar industry of film. You know, they, but, but again, then that just means that they don't really care about comics. It's just, the, it's just a, a, a something they're passing through. Yeah, it's like working, job. like working at, like working at McDonald's or something. Yeah, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, exactly. I, I, something. I really, a means. I really a means that to I'm, an end. You know, like, hey, I gotta yes, get yes. to get here. I gotta do this. Well, I mean, I mean, and, and again, like I said, I know everybody needs money, and they're in it to make money. But that's why they got in it. It, it, it to them, whoever you know, this certain faction of artists, the comics is just a job. It's really no different than McDonald's, like you said, or or. Um, you know, working in a in a in a Starbucks or or working for a law firm, it's just you know something they're doing with the hopes of getting to something else. Comics is really all I want to do. It's all I've ever wanted to do. And for years and years, I tried working with other people, and I just would constantly hit a wall because I would give a hundred percent, and a lot of other people. They spend more time talking about how great it would be to put a comic out, but then when it comes time to shut up and do the work, they all fall apart. Everybody gets lazy, everybody falls to the wayside, and the project they wanna, comes out. Or they want to get paid right then. Because like I've actually yes, they, um, written, written a couple scripts. I've actually I want to do comics too, but every time I approach mm-hmm. an artist, it's hey, do you got that money? I'm like, yeah, well, right. get the money. You know, like this is good, but <laughs> just draw it. Like. And that, that's why I'm trying to learn how to draw the best I can right now so I can put something out like kind of like you're doing. So Yeah, I, I, I had to teach myself several of the disciplines that go with comics because I knew how to I've always written on my I've always written for myself. I've always enjoyed writing and I've always been very good at it. Even in school, I would take the most advanced writing classes I could find just because to me it was an easy A, you know, back when they used letters. I don't know what they use now. Um but uh, so writing was always second nature to me. I did it for fun. I did it for pay. You know, I've done interviews. I've written bios for for <clears throat> singers and dance music and hip hop and and uh, done a little bit of journalism in the early '90s. And but for me, it was just it was. I don't want to say effortless because that sounds um, pretentious. But I, I just never really stressed it. I always enjoyed it so much. It never felt like work. It was something that's so much fun you know, writing down ideas that it never felt like work to me. And um, so I knew how to pencil, I knew how to write, I knew how to ink, I knew how to color. I had to learn how to letter. And then uh, also I wanted to improve my coloring. And some somebody I was friends with briefly who was in the comics industry gave me one tip in Photoshop and it just changed my whole game. One little thing, all he did was... was um, suggest uh switching the ink layer to multiply so that way the white disappears and you can color underneath it and that was all i needed to know and that was off and running and so lettering was really what i had to teach myself and i didn't i had no respect for lettering just like anybody else in the beginning i really 
didn't understand how important it is. You just, I took it for granted, basically. You know, you always read, I've read comics since I was about 12. And, you know, you, you read the words, but your focus is really on the artwork. But there's, you know, it's a real um, jigsaw puzzle, putting in word balloons in the right places so the lettering, so the dialogue flows the right way so people understand what they're reading and understand what they're seeing. So that was something I really came to respect over the last, say, 10 years or so. It's, it's, it's a shame that they, that they get pretty much no acknowledgement. And letterers, you know, they're extremely important. Is there anybody currently in the industry right now that you'd really like to work with? Or do you feel just like a lot of the stuff you've been saying, it seems like you're happier working alone, ultimately? Um, I got used to working alone over the last decade and a half. And, but, um, there are artists every now and then I'll, I will, uh, kind of challenge myself and I'll reach out to some of these other artists I know online, indie guys who are amazing. You know, I have a friend of mine from Ireland, this guy, Gary O'Donnell, who's a great artist. I think, I'm not sure if he's doing Judge Dredd, but he's definitely like one of those amazing you know, European artist that I believe is working on some title out there. Every now and then I'll hit him up and see if he has something I can color um, just to do something collaborative. Uh, I, I do that every now and then with, with indie artists. I mean, I would love to, I would love to color some prose work. I don't, I don't, if I don't want to ink, if I don't have to, um, I'm, I'm totally happy just like dressing up somebody's work by coloring it. Or if they want me to pencil it, that's fine. But, I'd rather write in color and letter if I had to. And I could, I could totally uh, step to the side and let somebody else pencil and ink on, another, on, on a project. I've done that with short stories in the past. I've just written like a seven or 10 page short story and been lucky enough to get a hold of a friend or two who really liked my stuff and were willing and were able to commit to something short. And um, they would pencil and ink and then I would handle the rest. But as far as in the industry, I don't know. I, Matt Wagner. Oh, God, I would love to color something by Matt Wagner. Um, I like a lot. I mean, Frank Miller back in the day, I don't know about now. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't color most of his books. <laughs> wow. Every now and then, like the shoes will be red, and his art has just de-evolved um, since the it last really Sin City has. book. Yeah, like Holy Terror was the last thing I I remember seeing that he actually drew. And mm-hmm. God, that book took forever to come out. When you look at the artwork and you're like, really, Frankie couldn't have redrawn that. I mean, I think yeah, Frank was, let his kid I, I, draw it. To tell you the truth, I don't know if it's if it's Ghost. ego that he's drawing the way he draws, or it has more to do with his illness. Doesn't he? Doesn't isn't he battling some kind of illness? Because yeah, he, he's a, he's an he asshole. He's <laughs> well, aside, aside from aside from that, was it alcoholism or cancer? I mean, he looked terrible. I saw a picture of him. He's always been a weird scrawny guy, but he doesn't look healthy the last couple times I've seen him. I, I haven't heard him actually come out and say he there's something wrong with him, but I wouldn't be surprised. He looks he looks like hell, honestly, the last couple yeah, times I've I mean, seen well, him. He's... Let's say if I could pluck him out of the, the 80s when he was doing Daredevil, that would have been a, a, a dream to work with him. But I oh, like and he was actually old... a really good artist. Yeah, no, that, that right, exactly. Good. Like the during the Electra saga, you know, the Wolverine miniseries, all that stuff. Um, 
there's a lot of amazing artists out there. I tend to gravitate towards uh, the um, Filipino and Brazilian artists that Marvel gets a hold of. But, um, you know, they don't keep them on the, they don't keep them on the title steady. And I mean, they only hire them because it's cheaper to, to hire them because the exchange rate is so high. You know, they can pay them 60 bucks here and it could be 300 pesos, you know, wherever they, wherever, wherever they live. Um, main sh- Bruno Redondo is a really good one. The guy that does, uh, Injustice. Um, oh, yeah, there Injustice you go. Gods Among Us. Yeah, that's really some incredible. There's some incredible artwork in that storyline. Not to mention the storylines are fantastic for yeah, that them comic. DC, yeah, them that, DC web. That guy Tom Taylor is Tom Taylor is fantastic. What's he draw for? Tom, Tom Taylor. No, he writes uh, Injustice. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He wrote that, Injustice, that... and and he wrote the um, that Iron Man mini, the the one where Iron Man got. I think it was a. Superior Iron Man or something along or some, some something like that. When he was the bad guy when he had the silver suit and after Axis. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. That one. Yeah, he's a really he's a really good writer. I mean, I um I've been in and out of reading comics for years and just recently started dipping back in. And oddly enough, I've been focusing more on some of the DC stuff. Um like I recently read uh, Rebirth by Jeff Johns. Oh, okay. And I have um, a Batman and a Flash lying around, and but it's it's hard for me to get back into Marvel and DC after taking like a three if, year break from them. If you want to take um, advice from another silly comic book fan that thinks much like you do, I highly recommend mm. the new Wildstorm Rebirth series that um, Warren Ellis is doing at DC, and then the Young Animal mm. books like Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. Doom Patrol and um, Mother Panic. Those are be- the best that DC's got out. It's better than anything Marvel's got out at the moment too. Marvel is just garbage right now. Don't even bother. You know, I I keep reading that. I keep reading these. Like I said, I'm kind of just over the last couple of weeks started kind of reintegrating myself into comics little by little, and I keep seeing these articles that are just blasting Marvel that their sales have been dropping steadily for the last couple of years. Well, the problem and- is, is they're they, they are. Go, holding too hot, um, hard onto the SJW thing, they're re-gentifying, uh, re-doing um, all the characters, making them women, making them non-binary, transgender people. And uh, the problem <laughs> is, is they're not. It would be one thing if they created a new character that was like that, but they're getting rid of Tony Stark and they're bringing in another character to replace him. And fans just don't want that, dude. DC learned that the hard way during New Fifty Two, and um. Mm-hmm. DCU. That is why Rebirth is striking such a chord with fans because it's them going back to proper. And I don't know why Marvel. I follow DC in suit in their epic failure so close after DC epically failed at doing the exact same thing. It, it, it's mm-hmm. almost retarded in my well, opinion. Well, you know what? I have a que- I have a question, Pete. Do you think that a lot of this this decline with Marvel in the in terms of the comics and stuff has anything to mm-hmm. do with the overwhelming success of the movies? You think that because they think they're doing so well with the movies that that's all they care about now? That the comics they no longer care what 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 gets written, what gets put out, do whatever I, you I want think, because I, the I films it's are like, where it's, it's at. Well, I mean, it, you you know, it's really complicated because what, once I mean, as far as to answer it, there's it, definitely not one thing or the other. It's def, it's guaranteed a, a, a several factors, especially once 
Disney bought them and they have the, you know, Disney has all the money in the universe. They, you know, the, the game was going to change, but I don't remember where I heard it years ago when the, when Disney first acquired Marvel, whether it was from an industry insider or somebody I knew in the business or a mag, I can't remember where I had heard this, but they were basically saying that they were definitely going to focus primarily on the books that were directly connected to the movies and not do, you know, experimental miniseries and spinoffs or, or, you know, we weren't going to see, you know, Jack of Hearts or Rom or, or, you know, Cloak and Dagger stuff unless there was some sort of television property or film property attached to it. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, essentially you know, they, the essentially they, the comic books are just a vehicle, you know, to advertise mm-hmm. for the movies. Is what was what kind of how I was starting to look at it with people being complaining about the storylines and things coming out of these comics. So it's yeah, yeah. The com the comics they are they're just they like they like two dimensional commercials for the for the movies. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and that's why a lot of this, in, a lot of the independent stuff that we see, is such high quality because it's focusing on the art and focusing on the story. Oh, and another thing that's another thing about what you're, what you're talking about, though, too, it's really awesome because you'll look at some of these guys that are writing these garbage books at Marvel, and you'll go and look mm-hmm. at their creator-owned stuff at Image. You know, you look at like Rick Remender, Nick Spencer. Uh, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm those guys and you go and look at their image books and they're beautiful they're they're breathtaking they're well written they're just some of the best books that are on the shelves and then you go and you pick up nick spencer's captain america where he's writing steve rogers as a nazi and you're just like really nick really i tried you know i tried picking that up because somebody recommended it to me and it was i i just felt so stupid reading i was like this is so ridiculous that i mean just the red skull and the, the cosmic cube became a little girl and he raised the little girl to, and I was just like, what am I reading? And I was just, I couldn't, I couldn't get past that one issue. And then I just gave up. I never went back. And the tragic thing is he, he is a very talented writer. I don't, I don't know how he just devolved that fast. I mean, I'm almost worried that like after he's done with this and he tries to go back to Indy, he's just not going to have it anymore. I mean, I'm really terrified about that because Nick Spencer was actually a very good star on the rise until he got, a, got went to Marvel. Like, I really I hope think- that he's just, I really hope he's just cashing it in right now. That's, that's it, I, I'm sure that he's just collecting that Marvel paycheck, which is a healthy paycheck. I believe the writers get paid more than anybody now. Um, I, I'm sure if he's good, I, I don't think Marvel's going to kill his creativity. They may kill his reputation within mainstream comics, but you know, you know that he's a good writer because of his independent stuff. So I'm sure other people who follow him are going to know that. It kind of makes me think of um. George Lucas, you know, Lucas, uh, when he was directing the prequels, you know, he's known, everybody knows that Lucas hates actors. You know, that's why he's kind of spearheaded the digital, you know, movement and for digitally creating actors. So because he eventually wanted to just not deal with people. And um, he was, you know, he was so restrictive. He got the worst performances out of some of the most amazing actors in Hollywood at the time in those prequels and kind of. It feels like Marvel's doing the same thing. They're taking really talented guys and getting mediocre work out of them because they're forced, they're probably forcing these guys to work 
within certain parameters. Oh yeah, no, that's um, that's that's editorial at Big Two to T. DC is guilty of the same thing. I know that Scott Snyder is an amazing writer, and I know Tom King's an amazing writer, but neither of them mm-hmm. can write a Batman story to save their lives. They both are just terrible at it. So I mean, yeah. obviously, there's something really bad going on at editorial at both Big Two. I mean, without yeah, a they're being ham. They're, they it's got to be that they're being hamstrung because these guys, you know, what what Marvel and what Marvel seems to do it more than DC when a hot writer surfaces like he, when, when you know they get a writer in their in their in their stable and the guy's doing whatever title he's doing like you say jonathan hickman you know at one point hickman was kind of working on avengers or working on fantastic four and then all of a sudden just blew up people fell in love with his writing and then they started putting him on this book and that book and the other, and then he's writing four and five titles and i knew right away i was like they're gonna use this guy up and spit him out they're gonna they're gonna suck all the cool out of this guy Oh, and not, not, not at all, man. Hickman Hickman gave Marvel what they wanted, and he was still writing the best of. He still writes one of the best books on shelves at Image right now, East of West. Oh, it is just beautiful. It's sci-fi. It's western. It's kung fu. It's everything amazing. He's got the Black Friday murders. He's got dude like Hickman. Hickman is far from used up. He just he just cashed in at Marvel, and he did a he actually did a pretty good run of um, Avengers until. Until about time runs out, and then it got really stupid, and then Secret Wars was garbage. But uh, mm-hmm. Hickman, I couldn't even, I didn't even follow it. Yeah, Hickman, oh, Hickman's you know what, Johnny? Johnny, not to, not to cut you off, Johnny, but we do have a caller on the line, and I think the caller has some questions for Pete. Pete, you have a caller. <laughs> you are on the air on PSN Radio. Uh, yeah, great show, uh, Mr. Zonrider. Oh, thank, thank you very much. Um, I wanted to ask uh, Pete here, um, does he like the current state of the uh, Star Wars comics uh, now that they're back on Marvel, and what's his uh, thought on the, the future of, of those comics in general? What what comic line was this? The, the Star Wars comics. Um, you know what? I haven't read enough of them, but I've read. But as far as uh, the buzz on social media, everybody says that that's the best thing Marvel has out. It's pretty much true. That's all I keep seeing. I just keep seeing that. And it's gotten me curious to read them. I do have a few um, on my desk on a pile that I keep meaning to get to. And, um, but that's, and that's primarily because all I've read is just glowing reviews. People just rave about the Star Wars comics that Marvel's put out. What, one quick quick thing. Um, uh, it, 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 hit, it was hitting me when you guys were talking about the, the movie universe of uh, Marvel in, in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of like struck me that a lot of the changes that we see now in the comics, and you guys can talk about this um, mm-hmm. you know, at will, is uh, some of these changes that we've seen in, in the comics uh, has a lot to do with the fact that they're going to be probably rebooting a lot of these movies in the near future. So maybe they're trying to set up a stage in the comic book world where fans could get used to different characterizations of these characters as they reboot them near in the future to different characters in the big screen. Uh, so in other words, you won't have a Tony Stark uh, rebooted as Tony Stark. You'll have the other Iron Man or Iron Woman or whatever it is in the next uh, few years rebooted onto the big screen. And this way you don't have like three incarnations of you know Peter Parker or or the like we've already had over again, right? So, in other words, you avoid that kind of thing. And I'm gonna be honest with you, fellas. I'm, I'm gonna tell you the truth. I think that's not, that's not a bad idea 
you know, out here, you know, where I'm from, I think you know a lot of folks that are in the comics they get they get tired real quick when it comes to these characters, you know, getting rebooted over and over and over again. And it's the same thing, like Punisher. You know, you know, Punisher is a great character, but if they could add a little bit you know, different of an urban element to Punisher, that'd be great. You know, you know, mm-hmm. to be something different. You know, and I think that's what they're going with. You know, when you see a lot of these sex changing of, of characters and uh, you know race changing, the only one that have a, a real issue with is uh, the female Thor because Thor is such a a, a manly uh, kind of character that you know create a female Thor is kind of like weird. But you know, it's just one of those mm-hmm. things where we we kind of got to get used to it. So when they do reboot on the big screen, I think this is what we're going to end up seeing eventually. Because if not, you know how they're going to explain moving forward unless they re- they wash out the entire universe and really reboot. This might be a way of them doing and setting up so they don't have to reboot. They can continue yeah. the storylines going forward without having no. to like scratch everything and reboot from you know from the start again. No. Mm-hmm. Make any yeah, sense? Well, you know, there's something interesting. You well, I was listening to you just now. I saw this a. Is just uh, a quote online. Hopefully, I don't. I'm, I'm probably going to mangle it, but I think it was from Kurosawa, and in this regards to beginning. heroes and villains, and he said the um, the heroes are always evolving. They never stop. They're constantly evolving. Where the villains are stuck in one place and they stay exactly right. that way. Like the villains are always villains, and it got me thinking about comics. And I think that's one of the problems with comics. Is as opposed to the movies, because in the movies the characters, some of the characters evolve. The better in the better movies, the characters go through an arc and they're changed by the end of the film. Otherwise, it's kind of pointless. But in the comics, the heroes have stopped evolving, and the villains have evolved. Like the focus has gone on beefing up or making the Joker cooler and hipper or whatever, or giving him, you know, something new or Bane or uh goblin or vulture or you know what i mean or you know they're not like the heroes really haven't evolved i mean the only changes that been made to heroes really is maybe they die for a minute or they get a new costume or they turn black or they turn into a female but they're not they're still the same character there's you know these changes have all been cosmetic and I think that's one of the things the fans don't like is their superficial changes i honestly don't know why they don't just make new characters and introduce them. Well, yeah, but here's the, here's the thing. You know, that's a, a good, you know, a good way to, to put it. But when you look at characters like Miles Morales, for example, I mean, that's such mm-hmm. a great character in itself that you can see them, you know, making a, an, a, an actual cinematic version of him. And oh, uh, yeah, I like him better than Peter Parker now, and I grew up reading. You know what I'm saying? So and, Miles and, and, is awesome. And this is a completely different characterization of Spider-Man with a different, you know, character, mm-hmm. different background. But but you know what? It's still it's still Spider-Man. Oh it's yeah, of just course. A different, yeah, it's it's not right. like you know, Kid Arachnid or whatever. You know, it's not like a whole new guy. It's 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 but like it, it, uh, you and know. at the same time, it doesn't wash away like what's there already. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't like right. take away what Peter Parker did. It just is a new dude not doing what Peter Parker but, used to but do. But caller, the thing is, mm-hmm. is uh, Miles Morales appeared in. Ultimate Spider-Man, whereas and at the same time, Peter Parker's book was still there. You still had Amazing Spider-Man, Web of Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, and on and on and on with Peter Parker. And they killed off and they killed off Peter Parker in Miles Morales' storyline. So yeah, but that's that's Ultimate. You still had all of these Peter Parker books. See what they're doing now is they're not even giving the people that option. This isn't an alternate universe like where Miles Morales was Spider-Man, and we still had the six one six where Peter Parker. Was still there because he was a fan favorite. They are right. are getting rid of Tony Stark and they're replacing him with Ironheart. They're getting rid of Thor and making Jane Foster Thor. And 
they're not giving these fans the characters that they like to keep on reading if they want to. They're just saying, no, this is what you get well, now. That's why I'm because, asking. Because we're serving some agenda. Care. There's an agenda <laughs> that these people need to have their books too, and you have to like it. And that, that's what they're shoving in and our you know, faces. Marvel, and, and Marvel loves flooding the market. I mean, that was one of the one of the tricks they used to stay on, stay on, on the top of the sales charts where they just saturated the market with titles. And it's, but it's, it's like 10 versions of the same thing. It's like, you know, five Spider-Man titles and, and right. five Avengers titles. And you know what I mean? And the Hulk is everywhere. And at one point Wolverine was in everything. And he was instead in of doing like, you know, make it, why not make, uh, uh, an, an Ultraverse and Elseworlds or bring back what if and experiment with new characters or do these, or if they want to well, play around and do female Thor, put her in an alternate version, an alternate universe. Well, you know what I mean? They, that they've way. actually pulled it off. One of the, one of the things like this that actually has worked well with fans is spider Gwen. And that's because she has her own universe where Gwen Stacy got bit by the spider instead of Peter Parker. And so mm-hmm. she has her whole book, which doesn't interfere with any of the five Peter Parker books or the Miles Morales book. And that's why it, that, particular female character a strict accord and has become a fan favorite because she is not replacing anything she is just right. maybe flooding the market but at the same time she's not taking away other people's beloved you know what i mean mm-hmm, and, and i mm-hmm. think that 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 is why you're you're completely right they should experiment in another universe to see if it works before just shoving it down right and this and this the, I, I also feel like they they think the fans aren't savvy and it's like some of from my experience some of the more savvy fans are comic fans because it's it's it is literature i mean it is reading you have to have a certain amount of education to pro i mean comics some of my some of my um leaps in language as a kid were because i found words in comic books that i just never understood or didn't ever encounter before and it would inspire me to go look them up in the dictionary and that increased my vocabulary and increased my my grasp of the language so comic fans i find are, are are usually pretty bright and you know like and i say that because you know wasn't casada his whole thing about destroying the numbering system which i heard they're going back to they're going back to legacy numbering but he got rid of that because he, he thought um it was one too sell dense. better yeah it was it was still too it was still too dense for people to get in like if somebody grabbed like Spider-Man 679 he he felt like it would be too much for them to go back and hunt down like Spider-Man 1 and read all 678 issues that kid which I always thought was ridiculous I always thought like if you get if a kid gets into something say you know Metallica came out with an album about a month or two ago and there's a whole army of people out there of young rockers that probably don't know them and they got into this new album they're going to deep dive and go back into metallica's archives and go and find and hopefully enjoy all the previous stuff so which the same thing happens with novels the same thing happens with movies you know people become a fan of keanu reeves off the matrix they start going backwards and finding all his previous stuff or harrison ford or mark hamill or you know what i mean i just it never made any sense to me to try and do away with continuity under the you know just to just to try and get a bump in sales by creating a new number one every six months. I got I got another question for Mr. P here, uh, 
uh, is there a line of comics uh, for like Marvel or DC that you haven't, uh, you know, that you've aspired as as a youth to like really work on? Something you want to do before you know you, you retire? Uh, when I was a kid, my favorites were Daredevil, Spider Man, and the X Men, and I would have loved to write Daredevil. Um, maybe X-Men back in the, the, the old school X-Men back in the day, the Claremont and Byrne version of back X-Men. In the, back I don't in even the know. 80s the, and 90s? Yeah, yeah, the golden, you know, when you know, Scott, Jean Grey, Nightcrawler, right, Colossus, right. you know, those uh, guys. The, the current stable X-Men books is unreadable. Man, I'm a Jeff Lemire fan, and I cannot read his X-Men books. So I, I, could, I don't even know who's an X-Men now. I, I, I don't have a clue. Just like everybody's an Avenger now. Remember well, there's when like there's, an Avenger was Wolverine's dead, but we got three fake Wolverines now. Like X twenty three is a Wolverine. Didn't they Cy, do that um, with Saber Superman? A Wolverine, and then they got um, Old Man Logan. So there's like so three fake re- Wolverines running around in X Men books. So they're repeating that Superman storyline where they had all the. I was just thinking Superman. the same thing. I was just thinking the same thing. I mean, Remember, they is... killed Superman, and then we got five fake Supermans for a while, or something like that. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, but the difference here is uh, like the other uh, experimental Wolverines have, have been kind of part of the storyline from like uh, at least a few years. Like the little girl, she she's not like that's something brand new, right? But caller, they right. they've actually given um, Sabretooth three claws like Wolverine now in the comics. So he he is he's been around forever, but now he is legitimately a fake Wolverine because he, he even has fucking claws, bro. Yeah, but it's not like <laughs> it's not like the Superman thing where characters are just being created like they're like compensate for not having Superman like you know you had Cyborg who was created just because Superman wasn't there you know what I mean you had like the fake Superman oh, you, know, you know who else I would have loved to work on uh, uh, Coke and Dagger was another was two characters I loved when I was a kid when it was just a mini when it was just a miniseries it was just a four issue miniseries in the 80s and um, that was another one I, I, I always liked the grittier street level characters because they felt more human and more relatable and that's why I didn't like DC as a kid because DC's DC's characters were gods pretending to be people, and Marvel's characters were people being thrust into like superhuman situations and trying to deal with it. So, but over the years, I've kind of switched gears and I got into DC a little bit more before they started turning DC dark and making everybody a gritty killer. Do you think DC is a little bit more unrelatable to like the, to like the common man than than Marvel for that sense? Yeah, I think box? so because I mean, and again, we're, t- we're, we're my 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 mindset is a little dated in regards to Marvel and DC. I'm not thinking of them now. I'm thinking of them at the height at the height of their powers. Um, DC was hard for me to relate to personally as a kid because. I don't know what it's like to be a god. So I couldn't relate to Superman because he could do everything and nothing could hurt him except for that little green rock. And uh, Batman was the only one you could relate and magic. to. Magic. Remember, was... magic also could be Superman. Right, right. Magic. Yeah. And magic well, Batman was really the one that I got into because he was a guy. You know, he was he was a person. But um, I guess as you as I got older and I got and I fell more in love with the ideal of superheroes and what they're supposed to be. Uh, I started to appreciate DC as I got older because I realized that their characters were like living ideals of like hope and justice and, and uh, righteousness and, and, and uh, liberty and all that. But um, by the time I got into that, all of a sudden 
you know, you had identity crisis and you had a couple of other events that happened where DC got really dark and they tried to make these godlike characters into gritty noir characters and it just doesn't work. And I like what they're doing with the films right now. They're trying to make everybody yes. into Batman and it just doesn't I, work. It doesn't yeah, work at all. Or, I mean, or they have like every like, you know, I don't know if you noticed this, but like every one of the shows has like a lesbian character on there now and that's that's in the comics too I, that that's something that's gonna be gonna come because basically um na- um a lot of the award ceremonies for films tv and comic books they will not nominate you you will not win if you don't have a bit of diversity especially with sexuality yeah. and and um race stuff so i mean that's to be expected but um, yeah, but in a, in a thing that's for kids, I mean, I have a problem. I have a little bit of an issue with that because remember, comic books and these kind of you know superhero properties are aimed for children, and you know to start putting stuff like on Supergirl, they got like this whole lesbian angle with Supergirl's half sister or stepsister, or whatever she is, and uh, she's mm-hmm. now a lesbian, and you know kids are watching this thing, man. You know, the, you know, well, that, you, you that, don't want that show's awful. They shouldn't let their kids watch it. Well, period. that's beside the point. But still, little kids are watching this, and this influences little kids. That well, maybe I am gay because I'm different. You know what I'm saying? Now that that's making more kids turn gay who might not even be gay, but they're turning gay because of you know these properties they're watching because they're susceptible to these things. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm gonna be honest with you, uh, you know that that bugs me a little bit because I mean this is conditioning children in a way that they never were before in the 80s and 90s. I understand about diversity and hey, create create a gay character that's great, but you know like every one of these properties now is like being run over with like gay stuff in it. That's a little weird to yeah, me. But gay gay people have been around since there was society and there no, were no granted, I, I, I ain't saying not have any gay characters at all but to have every single one of these properties now that you, you know have gay characters that are main characters that's just a little weird you know that's a little bit odd to me yeah i i mean the way i see it from a business standpoint though they they have gay they want to reach out to the gay community and make that money off of them they want them buying their property and the only way you're going to do that is to put gay characters in their comics the same way that at a certain point, they started putting more black characters, and well, that's pretty much where it stops in comics. So there's like practically no Latinos or Asians in comics. You know, there's probably like, you know, how many Latin characters are in comics and how many Asian characters? You probably sit here and count there's them that, down. There's there's that, like uh, well, that right now there's that really prominent Green Lantern in DC who's uh, Blue Beetle. Latino. He's, he's no, Latino. There's a, yeah, there's a couple of them, though, mm-hmm. isn't there? There's. Uh, but you know what I mean? It's like they're they're yeah. These you know these people exist, and um, comics. The one thing comics has always done for good or bad is adapt to the times. I remember when people were complaining about Marvel and DC doing drug issues when, like, in 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 DC, I think it was um, Speedy, who's the Arrow yeah. Arrow side, Green Arrow sidekick, was a drug addict, and then in Marvel they had drug they had drug issues. Um, and, and the, and the parents were all upset about that because, you know, the comics were for kids, but they were bringing up these adult things. And I think they're just adapt. They're trying to adapt to the times. I also think a certain part of it is, um, cheesy. I think it's cheap. I think they're using the gay characters to a certain extent as a marketing gimmick instead of actually writing them like real people, you know, um, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Using you know, I think it's, I think I think it's, it's, kids. Yeah, they're they're yeah, they're I don't think they're writing them really 
with any real depth. You know, I think if any if anything, the characters like that on TV are being handled better than they would be in comics. Um, right, they're being they're, but, you're basically being accentuated through comics simply because right. they're gay versus any superpower mm-hmm. that they may have, which is one of the great criticisms that a lot of these you know gay characters are getting. Like when they did the uh, gay Green Lantern in uh, right. Earth Two, it's just, it was it's just not written. It's it's not genuine right. at all. Like right. they're, they're they're just doing it as a gimmick. There's they're not actually exactly. trying to but tell, that, and tell that's a wonderful I, that's story. How... They're just. Right, and that's how I felt when they started, when, you know, years ago, when they started, like, all of a sudden, Nick Fury, they made Nick Fury black, which happened to work. I mean, who's fucking cooler than Samuel Jackson? And yeah, but that see, was the, mainly... You know, but that Nick Fury is still related to the old Nick Fury, to the white Nick Fury. He's like an adopted son or something like that in the comics. Well, oh, is that well, what they the, did? Yeah, well, it's, it's it, along it, those it lines. Is, it, in the 616, but in um, the Ultimates, Nick Fury was always black, and that's what Samuel Jackson's based off of. Right. They did, they did the Nick Fury Jr. in the right. 616 so they could kind of have the Samuel Jackson character in um, regular so, continuity but still, But they based it on Samuel Jackson's uh, you know, uh, character. Yeah, I remember, you remember the, first, the first cinematic Nick Fury ever was David Hasselhoff. In a film that was directed by, written and directed by David Goyer. <laughs> Yikes. Wow, but you know so... what, I think when, you know what, the, what I think bothers people with when they make arbitrary changes to characters, like they make a white character black, or a male character female, or a straight character gay, like they did that with Iceman, and I was just like, where'd that come from? Because it just smacks of being a cheap gimmick instead of, and which is also, if you think about it, it's an insult to the person or culture in question because they're just saying that that's all there is to that person is their blackness or their gayness or right. their, or their Latino-ness or their Asian, you know what I mean? It's like, instead of just writing a character from those walks of life that are really well thought out and developed it's like that's all they are all they are is their culture or all they are is their sexuality and that's why it comes across as cheap and unrelatable and people kind of recoil from it you know those even a backlash for like the last star trek movie like the beyond movie because they had uh, the gay zulu in there and uh, you know there's a lot of folks who were mad about that so it's not only it's just funny, even, even george takei himself even george takei didn't like that yeah. he, he was against it because he thought that that was never a part of the star trek canon they shouldn't do that right that's not the way gene rudenberry even thought of the character to begin with so mm-hmm guys this is a great show yeah, man I, mean, I, gotta, I gotta go man i'll be listening to the streams i'll rather you the man as always. Thanks, caller. You're, you're Thanks awesome, calling, caller. Dude. Thank you, Pete. Thanks for calling. Have a good night. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think he made he made some good points about you know the whole Star Trek thing too with you know with, mm-hmm. with Sulu. If the character was written that way, or he wa- he wasn't portrayed that way in any of the other films, and or mm-hmm. any of the other anything, and then you're just making him gay well, just to make him gay, and it's just kind of well, see the thing. Pointless. Uh, uh, because I, I've been a comic book fan my whole life. I grew up in the 90s. I really loved Vertigo mm-hmm. comics. Stuff yeah. written by Grant Morrison and Neil Gaiman. Stuff like Sandman and Doom Patrol. Where they had these really androgynous 
transsexual, homosexual characters, and they were written right. just so good. They were poignant at the time when it was still a taboo mm-hmm. sub- uh, subject, and it was genuine. It was beautiful. It was great that th- these people were being included, and um, when you see what they're doing with it now, it's just it's a sham. It was like Pete was saying, you know. Well, you know, they, you know. It's funny. You made you made me think of something. Like remember when they when when like the Midnighter and Apollo in Ultimates, like. I don't and know that anybody ever. Yeah. Authority. I don't know that every anybody ever had a problem with them. They were just like, oh, they were just cool. Like their powers were cool. Their 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 fighting. They were badass. But they were a, a gay couple. But it wasn't all. It wasn't all that they were. You know, it wasn't just that they weren't just there for the sake of having two gay people. They were two really well written characters, well, and being gay was just a part of what they were. Also, the Midnighter, well, he made the Punisher look sane. So, I mean, like, if you were going to totally. tease that guy about it, like, you were, you were going to end up with a broken jaw and, and a split skull. I mean, that's just how it rolled. Right, so, right. He was a badass that, character. That, that was the thing. is like they didn't make them as, like, oh, my God, Julius-type homos. They were, they were right, fucking right, badasses right, right. that just happened to like a hot lunch. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and, it's, and and I I think also, uh, I think also some people get too bent out of shape over over uh, the character's sexuality. It's just like I don't unless it's if it's relevant to the story, okay, great. But if it's all, like I said, if it's if that's all there is, then like I don't give a shit. Like I could care less. You know, it's not it. You're not hooking me in. I'm not reading the comic just because it's a gay character because that's gonna that's just seems silly. It's like that's not a real reason to read a superhero comic. If it's a re- if it's a comic that's done more realistically, like if the comic is specifically about um, a gay person living their life and 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 the difficulties they go through in society, then that's different. You know, that's. You know I, I, I mean? actually read a, I actually read a comic like that. It's called Sunstone. It's done by um, Stepan Sedgwick. It's put up by Top Cow, and it's about um, two lesbian girls that are in a BDSM relationship. And yeah, I know it kind of sounds smutty, but it, it, it's really not. It's actually about two people that thought they were freaks and scared of ever actually meeting anybody in real life that mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. find each other and actually after the, the fun of the sex wears off, seeing if they actually click with one another. And, and it's truly just a genuine, wonderful comic on the subject, which is a polar opposite to most other big-name books that deal with uh, homosexual topics. Yeah, but and you know what? With that, you know what you're getting going in, so you can't complain about it if you pick it up and read it, because it's right up front. This is what we're doing. And maybe... Some fans, not me, but maybe some fans get all funny about a, a superhero becoming gay all of a sudden because it feels like a, a, a sneaky trick, like they, like, they, like they got fooled into something. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, that, well see, that's, now do you think that that's how they may be looking at it in terms of some of the major characters from, like, say, DC or Marvel, when they suddenly go in, they open the book, and they say, oh, my God, now now this character is transgender, and this was a straight male in previous incarnations. I mean, Yeah, I that, think it feels... I think it problem? feels... I think the knee-jerk reaction is that people feel like something is being shoved in their face, and they're being forced to accept it 
it is just a gimmick. Again, it's just it just seems so arbitrary, especially if a character that they do that to has been pres- uh, presumably hetero for. 20, 30 years, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, now he's gay. It's like, oh, come on. Like, like Iceman. <laughs> like, like, we'll go back to Iceman when they brought the um, mm-hmm. 05, um, uh, the all-new X-Men, when they brought the original X-Men back from, um, from the past to the future, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. young Iceman's gay, and then they had to do the whole thing where all of a sudden the regular Bobby Drake, the, the Iceman we've known forever, had to come out of the closet mm-hmm. too and say that like, oh yeah, no, I was just faking liking the pussy my whole life. And you're just like, no, what? That is so okay. stupid. Especially I after mean, the and 90s the, it, and, and Avalanche, the, the Canadian guy from Alpha Flight having a gay marriage in X-Men comics. It's like, really, mm-hmm. he, he still was scared. He was in a team with that guy for like 20 years. Like, he, he should have... There was no need to stay scared of it. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. You know what? It's it's funny when you when you think about it. It's like it is silly for it, it's kind of silly for a superhero character to go to to go into the excuse that for twenty thirty years he's been afraid to tell people he was gay, but he'll fly into space and fight Galactus. You know what I mean? Or they'll they'll take on an alien. Well, see, it, it does or, it does yeah. it does seem like a rather you know superficial complaint in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, when you think about what that hero is work. doing. Yeah, it doesn't really work. The only, the only time that it, would work for me is if it was a young character, if it was a teenager, somebody new. Yeah, that, a new right, character, a brand that new character that totally works. Yeah. Right, it totally works. Not a character that's been around since the seventies, and now because it's trendy to have um, gay and transgender, you know, because gay and transgender is becoming more acceptable, then now you're going to try and cash in on that particular demographic. Then it just, it, like I said, it's cheap. It's cheap and it's actually an insult to, 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 to gays because you're using them as a, as, a, as a trick, as a cheap gimmick to sell some books. Exactly. And you know what? On that note, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back on tonight's amazing episode of the Zod Rider Show <laughs> with our guest, Pete Hernandez the third. This has been so much fun. This is, this is awesome. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm going to go ahead, and I, I think I'll play, I think I'll play a, a, a Georgina song here. Let's get everybody in a really, really happy mood. This is Dance for Love. We will be right back.
are back on tonight's episode of the Zod Writer Show with our special guest, Pete Hernandez III, along with my guest co-host from for tonight from the Roundtable Show, Mr. Johnny Alpha. And we have been mm-hmm. talking about, I guess I should say, <laughs> diversity in comic books because we've just been all <laughs> over the place. I mean, w- wouldn't you say? I mean, wouldn't you say that that's what we're basically focusing on at this point? Diversity in comics, because our caller brought it up. It just kind of spun a web for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. He he took us in a in a in a direction we didn't expect. But you know what? It is. It's it's a contemporary topic because wasn't there an article just a couple of weeks ago? where somebody blamed diversity in comics for the poor sales, for failing comic sales? Uh, Marvel has actually even admitted to it. And, um, yeah, no, that, that, that's, been a, that's been a hot-button topic ever since <clears throat> um, this new relaunch since um, Secret Wars hasn't been going over well. A lot of people have tied it to the, um, the diversity of it. Um, I, I think that... I think it's a little cruel. I, I, honestly, to tell you the truth, this whole relaunch has been taking Marvel into wacky land. I mean, like ever since Secret Wars, like the books had come out, they're just written kind of very silly. On top mm-hmm. of uh, on top of having just the weirdest um, character lineups in, in in titles, so I, I think that 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 has a lot to play with it too. It's just it's a very bizarre run of comics that Marvel has yeah, out I right don't, now. Uh, Personally, I don't think I'm off. I'm a, a, a huge proponent of diversity. My any all, any of the comics I put out have been uh, multicultural, and I just put the characters from different cultures in there as part of the story, doing what they do. And it wasn't about whether they were Bengali or Puerto Rican or Mexican or Chinese or Korean. That's just who they were by birth. It was really about what their part of the story was. But I think that I don't think diversity is the bad thing. I think the way Marvel handled it is what's wrong. They because they did it like we were saying before, they did it as a gimmick. They didn't do it because they cared about diversity. They were just doing it from a business standpoint to try and cash in on different walks of different different cultures, different aspects of society. So I guess the question is have any of these characters that they've thrown into these comics for diversity for you know as gay transgender or changing the races or the uh Mm -hmm. the the actual gender of the characters have any of them been really successful i would have to say the answer would be no for the yeah no 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 yeah i mean aside from aside from miles aside from ultimate spider miles morales i can't think of any of them where the changes were made they were good the first one that they came out with that kind of started this whole craze when they came out with the uh, Kamala Khan um, Pakistani's Miss um, Marvel. That book is fantastic. It's very well written. It was it showed a lot of love to both Muslim culture and um, mm-hmm. diversity. It's very well written. It's very well respected. That's why if you look at modern Marvel books, you go look at a team book. Miss Marvel's in all of them because she captured the hearts and that's that that's kind of a sad thing because marvel's been trying to recapture that with all these hack books that they've been putting out trying to replicate what they had there so that they, they have had that that's what this is all built off of is one and two little bits of actual success that they had with say like miles morales and the pakistani miss marvel kamala you know khan She's I, a wo- you know what i apologize because i completely forgot about that miss marvel but i agree with you 100 percent i I've mm-hmm. I've actually heard I I could say heard because I'm a you know I listen to the uh, graphic audio adaptions of some of these Marvel 
uh, graphic novels that I don't have a chance to mm-hmm. read. And one of the uh, adaptions that they did recently was the two Miss Marvel, um, well, two Miss Marvel graphic novels. And and mm-hmm. I th- I think you are absolutely right, Johnny. I think the character is captured amazingly, and it's all it's just... original stuff. And they threw in some really great stuff there, and she's a great character. So I can and, see and the... that is a good measure of success. And the cool so it thing looks is, like, it looks like they just need better writers. It's, I mean, I've my I've always said for years that most of the writers in Marvel and DC aren't writers at all. They're plotters. They're guys that come out with cool plots, but they're the characters. If if you're reading a comic out loud, the dialogue is usually horrendous, and there's no gradation between one. But there's no deviation between one person talking and another. You know, like if you're reading a Justice League comic, it just sounds like it reads like a monologue broken up amongst seven different characters. There's no personality with the exception of Batman and Superman, you know, because their their characteristics have been so clearly defined for decades. But usually a lot of these writers, they just don't know how to give any heart or personality to the characters they're dealing with, which is why the TV shows and movies always appeal more because there seems, you know, the focus is on characterization and acting. So you always get much more out of these two-dimensional characters in film and television than you do in comics. It's just better. Right, even, even if the it, characters are just a higher standard of writing. in the movies, too. Yeah, yeah, they, they try to, because like you said, they, they're trying to focus mainly on, the, on characterization to make the mm-hmm. stories better and to drive the plots better on these TV shows, too. Yeah, I agree. Right. Like when you look at, you for think, example... It, 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 I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, well, when you look at, like for example, like Daredevil, like the writing on mm-hmm. that show is just fantastic. And, yeah, and but, yeah, amazing. But Daredevil's always written well. I mean, like I bashed on Marvel earlier, but if you go and you pick up the Charles Soule Daredevil run that's going on in Marvel right now, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty much the only thing that one of the only things that they have that's actually worth reading. And you could say the same thing. I'm not a Bendis fan, but when he wrote Daredevil, it was splendid. Mark Wade's run on Daredevil was splendid. Um, basically, you're going to have to go. Kevin Smith had a good run on Daredevil too. No, he did one Who? book, but yeah, it was great. Kevin Smith, he did Guardian Devil. Oh, yeah, yeah, the... yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, when they when they relaunched the Daredevil at Marvel Knights, yeah, he did the first arc for that. It, it was it was just a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I think it's, it, I think, it, it, you know, it is, it comes down to writers, but then the writers have to deal with the editors, and the editors answer to... The executives and the executives are, are, are dealing with the accountants because, I mean, I've read a couple of articles over the years that are basically saying in, in comics, just like in film, um, the guys that control the money, the accountants, are the ones that are making the calls on what gets put out and what doesn't. So there's like, you know, these guys are probably, you know, there's probably maybe there's more talented writers than we know, but they're just so hamstrung by oh. the chain of command that they, you know, they can't the- put out good stuff. At the moment, Marvel's got three guys that I would say are talented working for him, which is a tragic because their last run um, at Marvel, um, the first Marvel now, they had a whole um, entire stable full of incredible writers. That's why that relaunch did so much better than this one. But yeah, they got Jeff Lemire, Charles Soule, and, um, well, Nick Spencer, but his Marvel stuff's garbage, but he is a good writer aside from it. So, right. so I mean, like... Yeah, they- I, think, I think that the, 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 the writers have so much... I mean, we're not on the inside... You know, I've talked to people on the inside and, and, you know, absorbed a certain amount of information. But I think once you're in the mix, 
it's a, it's a, it's such a dramatically different ball game. And these guys can't comment because then they'll get in trouble and it could be a contract violation or they could just get fired or, you know, but I'm sure there's, there's so much, um, bureaucracy in comics that, uh, the creatives don't really have as much control as they should. Well, uh, another thing that I, I, I know, and I, I have actually seen some of my favorite um, writers admit to this, like when guys like mm-hmm. Warren Ellis or Brian Wood go over and do a book at Marvel in DC, they don't go mm-hmm. and try to bring their A-game, um, creator-owned stuff. Mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. They, they bring a, a, a testing exercise, and they run it for the check. And then they go back right. with that money and they go to make a book an image that um, it's it's a passion project of theirs. So that's another yeah. thing you got to deal with when you actually go and you're like, oh, wow, Warren Ellis is writing a Marvel book. That's great. And then you read it and you're like, this isn't very Warren Ellis-y. It's because mm-hmm. he never meant it to be. It was a goddamn paycheck so he could go write the um, injection well, it, or something. It's, it's, so, it's, so it's the same equivalent of like uh, like an actor who's known for doing the indie films that goes off mm-hmm. and does the mm-hmm. big blockbuster for the paycheck exactly. and, then wa- and then walks back to his passion projects. It's, it's there a, you go. It's a, good, it's a good way of looking at it. So, so that's essentially how you would have to be, Pete, if you jumped on with Marvel or DC for a run. Oh, yeah. I would, I would just... Would I would just have to do, but you see, um, uh, I've worked as a, in, as a freelancer. I've been working as a freelancer for like 24, 25 years. And so the bulk of my time or the bulk, you know, half of my life was just doing, working within the parameters of um, what was set before you by the people that were paying you, you know, and that's, a, that's something that a lot of guys, especially a lot of comic artists, don't ha- they don't know how to do that when they get into Marvel and then Marvel, the bureaucracy of Marvel ends up crushing them because they don't know how to just compartmentalize and save their best, save a certain amount of energy for their passion projects and then give a certain amount of energy to their job, which is working for Marvel. You know, I've worked for Colgate Palmolive. I've worked for time magazine. I worked for USA network and you know, it takes you a little while when you're a young freelancer, but after a couple of years, you get it. It's like you're, you're getting paid to do this. So just do that to the best of your ability. Make sure they're happy with it. Even if you don't care about it, you just make sure that your client is happy with what you're doing and you get your check and you keep it moving. And then you put your real heart and soul into your personal project. So if I worked for Marvel or DC, I would just do what they allowed me to do and do it to the best of my ability and not become too married to it. Yeah, yeah, it it just seems like it. But it would be like it's like that with with anything. You can kind of make that make that analogy analogy there and 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 come up with come up with a million and one ways to say it, but ultimately uh, mm-hmm. it's it comes off the same way. Uh, let, let, let's say you actually make a name for yourself, kind of like like say Ed Brubaker did. Yeah. When he got when he got to come in and do Captain America, and they basically Marvel right. gave him free reign, and he got to tell the story he wanted to. Let's say you get to that point, Pete. What what big two character would you would you um, take on if you had that kind of um, freedom? I really I really think I would just try and go for Daredevil because that's a character that I understand. And I can get into almost immediately, you know, like something like X-Men or Avengers. There's so many moving parts and their stories are so like colossal that, you know, you can't really get away with a small Avenger story at all. There's the characters are too bombastic. They're too big. And it almost, it would almost seem like a waste, but you can get into, or, or maybe what I'm trying to say is I can get into a more personal story 
with with strong because I write really strong dialogue, if if I may say so myself. And I would prefer to deal with characters that you can really dive into and get them saying some interesting stuff and really um write something that's right for their personality. So I would prefer like a solo character, you know, a a Daredevil or or maybe even Moon Knight or or um uh, a, 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 who's a street level badass. Somebody, maybe Iron Fist. Iron, Iron Fist. Fist. There you go. I know you Iron don't like Fist, the well, show, but his comics are rad, dude. Like you might have to do, get into a little Chinese mythology, but you're kind of already into that, anyways. You're doing a book. Yeah, somewhere. yeah. Especially, especially being so, so. You know, I've absorbed so much about Asian culture over the past year and a half from from just talking to everybody that's become a that agreed to become a character in the story. You know, there's, you know, it's. You know, they're so diverse from Chinese to Hmong to Laotian to Japanese to Cambodian. You know, there's such a uh, uh, so much information out there. That would be something cool. Iron Fist might be something. Um, or maybe they'll let me do an Asian Iron Fist instead of Danny Rand. <laughs> or, or, you know, Iron, or Iron Fist. Uh, oh, the, oh, the, uh, son uh, of, the son of Iron Fist would, well, be, a, would be an Asian. Well, the thing is... You know, like, maybe, or maybe, well, doesn't the Iron Fist pa- get passed down? So yeah. maybe... Oh, yeah, yeah that, that's what I was going to say. You kill Danny Rand. You kill Danny Rand right. and pass it on to an Asian character. Yeah, have Danny Rand pass it on to an Asian dude. That way you're not erasing Danny Rand. He's still part of the mythology. He's part of the canon. So you pay tribute to him, and then you have him pass on pass the mantle, however that's done in the comics, to the new kid who's Asian, and then we can really get into some like Chinese mythology or or you know, what if the kid's Korean or Japanese or one of the other cultures, you know, like I said, Hmong, Lao, Cambodian, uh, Khmer, you know, it could be anything. Because those are cultures that people don't even know about. I think you should check out the new Daredevil book because uh, this is the first time ever Daredevil's ever had a sidekick, and he's this uh, illegal Chinese kid named um, uh, Blindspot. He's a really rad character. I think you might actually get into him, Pete. He's, he's oh, that's cool. interesting. Yeah, that's yeah, that would. But, that, but yeah, Daredevil would be my first choice if I had a pick. I would, I would just get into that because Daredevil's um, he's my favorite superhero. So you ain't got to say much more than that, man. Like I, yeah, he's that. He's always been. I mean, since I was just, well, I don't know, probably fourteen, I've loved that character. So when they, you know, when he finally came on Netflix and they got it right, oh, I couldn't have been happy. I'm so glad that it's still the top, the top Marvel show of all the Netflix shows that they've done so far. Especially yeah, with yeah, that second season, man. Yeah, that, that second, second season, season raised the bar. Totally. And then they just totally missed the book. I mean, a lot of people are lying in wait for Marvel to have a miss uh, for whatever reason. You know, they just you, people just like to be petty and kick someone off of the stool when they get a chance. But um, uh, I, wasn't looking for, I wasn't looking for Iron Fist to be a failure. But oh my God, it was such a huge disappointment. It just, it you know, it's no surprise it came out last. You know, it's just ironic maybe that it came out last out of the four. Yeah, I still they like really, better really. Than, dropped, I liked it better. Really, I liked it huh? better than Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones is really, in my opinion. Yeah, it was so boring. I mean, like I know Iron Fist wasn't the most action packed either, but I mean, like all Jessica Jones did was wander around, get drunk, and fuck people i mean it wasn't very interesting at all if i wanted to watch that i'd watch sex in the city you know i mean and i don't watch that either <laughs> i like i liked jessica because it was a, a female character that was really flawed and gritty 
and tough and vulnerable. She was like, re- there was all this dimension to her. But yeah, I mean, you know, everybody likes what they like. But Iron Fist was, I mean, that guy was a, the, the, probably the worst Iron Fist they could have found. I mean, he came across as whiny and petulant. He was built like a, a yoga instructor at the Y. He looked like some hits the yoga instructor from the local Y. And he had no screen presence. And then every and there were like 12 directors on 13 episodes. And each episode, he had a different personality. And he just didn't embody that character. I mean, that character is a pretty tough, it's a pretty tough character. And you just didn't get that from the Game of Thrones dude. I'm hoping they build him back up. I'm really excited. I completely, to see what I completely forgot he was in Game of Thrones. Actually, yeah, he played with mm-hmm. Loras Tyrell. He had about five scenes in uh, in the three seasons he was in, so he wasn't mu- in it much, man. He was barely in that yeah. show. But they, well, I did see. The, did you guys see that um, Defenders teaser where they're in the elevator and you're watching them through closed circuit, like through through a CCTV? Uh, I did notice that they had him wearing the iron iron fist. Um, mask sash type of thing yeah that 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 really got me hot because that was the one thing that really fucking pissed me off about the show i don't care if he wore the suit or not i wanted i wanted the yellow mask and he never mm-hmm. fucking put it on and that that that's what irked me that's the only thing that really pissed me off about the show i i found it yeah. okay it wasn't awful it wasn't great it, it was a far cry from daredevil but and another thing that didn't go well is it aired in between um in the middle of the season of legion which is probably the greatest live action comic book thing ever it even beats daredevil in my opinion so for me it could have been aired at a better time and i wish that the the fights were awful i wish that they'd have got the guys that did the fights for daredevil season two to do Mm -hmm. it because you come off of daredevil season two which had some of the greatest ninja fights ever put on film at least in hollywood and then Mm -hmm. like you watch you watch um, Iron Fist, and it kind of looked like a college student trying to make a Crouching Tiger type movie. It was it really yeah. I, I I was I was completely turned off by the guy's obvious lack of martial arts skill. But then they said, you know, the excuse was is that the guy got three weeks of training before he had to rush off and start shooting, and then they were teaching him the fight routines minutes before they started rolling the camera. So I think there was just like a scheduling issue and you know they were pushing it to get it done so that way they could have iron fist out way ahead of you know on schedule in preparation for the defenders but it ended up being just such a bad show i mean one of the most important things about that character is his martial arts and this guy was not a martial artist yeah yeah they could they could have cast a little better i mean i i I, don't yeah I feel you, dude. I really do. Like I wanted, I, I was, I am a huge Iron Fist fan. Like my big, my, my big four favorite Marvels characters, Moon Knight, Iron Fist, Captain America, Daredevil. And yeah, they screwed, they screwed him up pretty bad. But I, I, I at least liked that. Like they kind of came out in the show that he wasn't a complete Iron Fist. He, he had mm-hmm. the power. He just didn't know how to use it. And I, I thought that that was pretty interesting to, to at least build the character up. So that even though he was kind of limp dick, that there is uh, mm-hmm. a possibility that he'll become badass, and I'm really hoping that in Defenders, once Stick gets a hold of him, he might actually start becoming the Iron Fist we know. I, I, that, that's just yeah. A big they they need mind. to they need to beef that guy up. Uh, uh, they need to improve that character with just better writers or something, or give him more martial arts. Training better, better, yeah, better comic. writers and more martial arts skills. That's what I think. Will yeah, because it, it, he was time, so petulant. Yeah. He was so petulant and whiny. 
And then the show focused more on these crazy rich people that I could give a shit about and all this corporate boardroom drama. And I was like, what show is this? Am I, what am I watching? It's like, am I, I feel like I was watching some NBC, you know, uh, lawyer, lawyer, show, lawyer, lawyer drama. <laughs> yeah, and then every was... now and then Iron, and then every now and then Iron Fist walked by. You know, like, what am I watching here? For the most part, I'm a fan. I, I, you know, bring on all the comic book stuff that you can do because I keep telling people, I was like, at some point, this is going to fall out of favor and it's going to decrease or disappear, you know, like Westerns and horror movies, you know, they, they kind of, they used to dominate and now they don't. And now, you know, comics has been dominating, say, for the last decade or so. And I mean, we're seeing stuff that I could never imagine we'd ever see on screen. Yeah, the Cloak so, and Dagger little, TV show. I mean, and a trailer for that looks yeah, that's I can't wait for I just hope they, I just hope they put a little more superpower in there because it looks a little CW angsty right now from that teaser they put out. I, I, they, they used mostly stuff from the pilot. And that, that's mm-hmm. why uh, that was all just stuff from the pilot. I think that uh, the, uh, the other episodes, the, they're going to be developed and be doing superpower stuff, at least I hope, because that's what I read. Yeah, I, lo- I, mean, those are, I love those two characters when I was a kid. Uh, I re- and that was, that was uh, Bill Mantlo's creation. back when, And Bill, Bill Mantlo is another guy that I don't think gets enough uh, props, because at one point, he was, I think he's written every, everything Marvel ever put out at one point, whether it was for... or whether it was for an issue or for a handful of issues, that guy was the go-to guy to get us to get a title out on time. Um, and it would be uh, quality that guy did. I mean, he wrote, he was on, he was on everything at one point. I think that, I think that since we're talking, we've been talking about shows and different things like that. Now would be a good time to transition a, a little bit into, uh, your, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, ghost in the shell, Pete. Um, since oh. we, you know, you know, we, uh, Johnny and I are both huge fans of, of the, mm-hmm. of the original, of the original manga. And of course the, you know, the, the, the original films. And then of course, standalone mm-hmm. complex. So what is your, I, I even what, like Arise, man. I thought Arise was wonderful. Yeah, Arise is pretty good too. Get so much hate. So what's your, um, so what's your uh, take on Ghost in the Shell? Well, I love, uh, of course I loved uh, Ghost in the Shell. I saw it in the theaters when I was in college in Philly. Um, and I love, I've always been partial to anime where the characters lean more towards realistic looking than the standard spiky haired, you know, glassy eyed emo characters. I like the animation, like Ghost in the Shell, Akira. Um, uh, there was one I saw recently, a Korean anime that took place in, I think it was called Soul Terror. It took place in Seoul, Korea. I can't remember if it was called Soul Train or Soul Terror. It was, a an anime zombie film and it was all the characters actually looked Korean. So I always preferred that. I preferred more realistic. So ghost in the shell appealed to me big time. And I've watched it. You know, you, that's one of those movies you watch every couple of months for years and years until you right. just burn out on it. Cause you've seen every, cause you can close your eyes and replay the film in your head. So when the movie was coming out and then there was, you know, there was kind of the, the rumblings of it being a whitewash controversy, this, that, and the other. Um, I went back and revisited Ghost in the Shell before seeing the live action. And when I saw the live action, I was like, you know what? 
visually it's fantastic like just the 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 skin of it the 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 action the backgrounds the special effects is just which is incredible um really cool action sequences it's a slick it's a really slick looking movie you know however people feel about it you 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 can't argue against that uh it's not as emotionally deep or 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 it doesn't explore the metaphysical aspects of the ghost in the shell universe like the anime does but it does touch on it it just felt like <clears throat> whoever wrote it i'm not familiar with the credits but whoever wrote it almost it was almost like they were afraid to get too deep like they yeah, were they, worried the audience they, would get they bored dumb, yeah they dumbed it down for an american audience yeah i think because you you have moments like when when um she meets her her mother when she meets the elderly japanese woman and they're starting to have a moment and then she's like oh i gotta go and runs away and then there's another there's another couple of instances where they start to get deep they start to just tiptoe towards some depth and whoop and it just whisks away to a chase scene or a fight scene or something they just mad they just every time it gets deep they just run away from it so that was one of the one of the clear flaws and i think by trying to I think the mistake the director made was by he tried a little too hard to prove that it's not whitewashed and ended up kind of shooting himself in the foot and pissing off people who thought it was whitewashed anyway. But from a visual standpoint, I don't think it's a white, I don't think it's an issue of, of whitewashing. I really don't. It's not like, it's not like Dragon Ball Evolution or Shalaman's The Last Airbender, which was, those are, you know, horrible examples of whitewash. But I don't think Ghost in the Shell falls into that category because Scarlo looked pretty much like, like um, the major, and the the guy that played uh, Batu looked like Batu, and and oh Pogata no, he was like awful. Pogata. I I got to well, I got to well, once they on put Pogata. the once they put the lenses on him, he looked like Batu. He was I mean, a midget. Him, he was he was a tiny little. Everything you said about Danny Rand could be said about the guy that played Mister Batu. He was a little short midget looking Tom Cruise guy. He Batu's supposed <laughs> to be like some Chris big, big, football big player, ass dude. dude. You know what I mean? But then, you, know, you, mentioned Tom, you, you mentioned Tom Cruise, and the same complaint was made about Tom Cruise when he was cast as a fat. You know, he was too short, he was too little. Um, but, the, you know, they, they made it work. The, the, but, the guy who played Aramaki was amazing. I thought that guy was a oh, total badass. Beat, beat Takeshi was one of the main re- things I never complained about the film. He's one yeah, of my he favorite. Was, yeah, he was awesome. Yeah, but I think, visual, I think visually, I think from a, from a, a, a surface standpoint, Design-wise, the characters look very cl- very close to the anime versions. There were just as many Asians in Ghost in the Shell live action as there were in the anime, and you know it just it just seemed balanced. It didn't seem like it didn't seem like a, a whitewash. I mean, from a, a business standpoint, I understand using ScarJo because they want to you know appeal to the American market, but um. Well, a point I, that I, I made a point I made uh-huh. early on when me and Zod were talking about it is they actually went over to Japan, several news crews I've seen, and they walked around the streets and they talked to just random Japanese people, anime fans, otaku, mm-hmm. schoolgirls, all of them, and they asked if they were offended that they got Scarlett Johansson to play. Well, and they said no, Japanese. right? Yeah, they, no, they thought it was awesome. They thought it was wonderful. Yeah, that's her. what I read. 
if so the I Japanese mean, people aren't bothered, if the Japanese people aren't bothered by it, then nobody else should be. Well, there, I, I mean, really, it comes down. You can't you can't be offended for them because that's just <laughs> arrogant. That's like exactly. you're basically saying that you're basically saying that they don't know how to feel. You know, that's like what social justice warriors tend to do. You know, when they get offended for another culture, it's like you're basically saying, well, you're, oh, I'm so sorry. You're too dumb to realize you're being insulted. Let me be offended for you. <laughs> and it's like, that's nothing. They, they know what they're seeing. They're not idiots. They created the fucking anime. You know, so they, they, they know what, the, they like American stuff. And, if, and they make their characters look American because that appeals to them. They're really um, enamored. Westernized. I mean, like huh? they, they were closed. Yeah, they're 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 enamored with with Western culture. They anything um, that has like an American saying on it, even if it even if over here it will be offensive. I mean, there's people around in Japan walking around with with you know they're dressing their eight year old kids in shirts that say "too drunk to fuck." They just like it because they don't give a shit that it says the f word on it. They they just like it because it's an American shirt. So you know they they dig our stuff. So. It, it doesn't surprise me that they weren't bothered by ScarJo being cast. It's just, the, you know, you got a lot of people online with a lot of time on their hands and a lot of energy that they're not expelling by being out in the real world like we were back in the days. So that energy's got to go somewhere, and where does it go to? It goes to social outrage. Social outrage. You know, they're not, play, they're not, they're not playing outrage. ball. <laughs> huh? I, you know, speaking of social outrage, I have to ask you about another anime that could at some point finally be turned into an American film. What do you think about all the controversy surrounding Akira? Ooh. Hollywood can't do it. I don't think yeah, I don't think Hollywood should do it either. I, but but then it what uh, I don't know. You never know though. It's 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 like it's really fifty fifty. It's just like unfortunately we're going off of stuff that's come in the past. That's really all we have all we have to base an opinion on is previous experiences, but you never know. There could be that young director who just gets it. You know, if he gets, if he gets the, if he gets a well, shot, see the you thing know, about like, that... like the guy who did Deadpool, you know, that guy was a directed, was a video game guy, you know, and they gave him Deadpool and he just made magic. But the thing so... is, is like the Akira movie, it was lucky enough to be um, adapted by the actual creator of the manga. But at mm -hmm. the same time, I, I love the manga. I've read the shit out of it several times. Absolutely. It is it mm -hmm. is very long. It's very sprawling. It's very more epic than the movie. The dude really abridged and very and made a very loose adaptation of something mm -hmm. that was already magic, and he was able to come out with something that was just as almost just as good as his original product. And I don't yeah. really see that being replicated by some um, Michael Bay wannabe that just got out of making. Oh God! Music well, videos. no, well, because that's who they're going to. Somebody... That's who they're going to get. They got the guy that directed Snow Might, Light, and the Huntsman to do Ghost in the Shell. He he made the movie look pretty. I, I, I gave it a passing mm -hmm. score, but he is not a director that I would have wanted to touch one of my favorite things ever. And I'm still kind of offended that they got some YA novel, tweeny bopper director to do it. And I'm pretty sure they'd do the exact same thing with Akira. We'd get some guy that directed Divergent Part 3 and... You know what I mean? And that's aren't what we, we have to look for. Wait a minute, aren't they looking at uh, Jordan Peele? <laughs> Isn't that who they're looking at right now? Who did The guy that did The Comedian, who did directed Hope. Get Out? They're looking at him for yeah. Akira. I don't know I, why. I, I, but... I'm a huge fan of his. I love his comedy. Well, I like they're looking Get at Out. him because he, because he, he 
completely smashed it was Get Out. Get Out was such a huge hit, and it's his first movie, and then he's like the first uh, black director to have a $100 million film opening weekend or something like that. Some He's got one of those stats now. He's one of those achievements. But, I mean, that's how Hollywood is. Whoever's hot, they want to grab right away, whether they're capable of doing the job or not. Yeah, but I mean, like, and another thing is I like Jordan Peele, and this might be a total Josh Trank move. Josh Trank smashed mm. it. He came out with Chronicle, blew people away. He made this $12 million mm-hmm. movie about kids that could fly, and people loved it. So Fox grabs him up and be like, hey, dude, you're making Fantastic Four with us. We're going to give you all this money. And the, mm-hmm. he, he he failed. He crumbled during production. And he's never going to work again. And I, I don't want that to happen to Jordan Peele. I don't think it would. He seems a little too headstrong. But I also... Don't draw a line between Akira and him. I mean, yeah, I don't. I I really don't know. I I don't know. I mean, essentially, I hope for the best when I hear um, about these genre films that are coming out of something that I love. It's like we're unless it's really just unless the trailers are just god awful, and and um, which is very rare nowadays that you see a bad trailer. you know, oh, we'll no, probably no, no. go see it unless the adv- unless the you know because now everything gets released overseas first, so we'll get hit with um, the average person's feedback as well as critic reviews before it even reaches us, more than likely. Well, and, and, you know, and so in, the case of, in the case of Akira, a couple years ago, uh, there was a there was an awesome fan made trailer of Akira that a group got yes, together. Yes, yeah, I remember did, that. It was I remember incredible. That. And honestly, I, I looked at It looked at just it like the that, anime. That yeah, and that's what showed me when I saw that, that's what showed me that it is something that could be fil- filmable. It's something that could be done, but it's going to have to mm-hmm. be done with a director that has a vision and someone who definitely loves the material because you're not going to get Well, you know, here's a, here's here's something. You know, we, the people talk about the biggest complaint you get from from genre fans, from comic geeks or video uh, video game geeks or superhero whatever, is that um, it doesn't look like the comic or it, you know. But then you you know, but then you get something like Sin City, which is yeah. he, he literally just took the comic and put that shit on screen, like frame by frame for frame. He, the probably the most faithful visual adaptation of a comic that I can think of at the moment and people had a problem with that because well i personally had a problem with it because i love sin city i loved frank miller's stuff from that era i'm a huge robert rodriguez fan was a big i was a fan of most of the cast but i wasn't surprised when i was watching it because it was so slavishly faithful to the source material that there were no surprises for me i knew exactly what was from the i saw it premiere night you know when the, you know how the stuff comes out on a thursday those big movies yeah, and yeah. I knew everything that was going to happen because it was exactly like the graphic novel. So yeah, you know, but, there's, but there's I mean, that, I, I, there was some surprise. Too. I honestly didn't expect to see um, Bruce Willis rip the yellow man's dick off on film. I mean, there were like they went to levels that I thought that was going to be edited out of the film, and it was still mm-hmm. in there. And I and, and that kind of I had surprised was surprised to see some of that stuff actually. Get yeah, you was, I mean, you were, you were surprised. We were surprised it happened for sure, but you knew it was coming. You know what I mean? That's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like it was, well, the no, surprise I, was, oh shit! I can't believe they pulled that. I can't believe they left that in there. You, but I'm saying, like, you knew exactly what was coming. So, with that in mind, with with that in mind, um, if Akira is 
done meticulously to the fine, to the smallest detail to look exactly like the anime, is it worth it? Right, right. Because Versus, we already have the anime. So do you want? They, and what will they you, adapt? Will they adapt the anime? Right. Do you? Or it's like do you do you the want the Mona Lisa? Do you want the Mona Lisa or do you want a tenth generation Xerox of the Mona? You know what I'm saying? Do you want a copy right. or do you want the original? Right. So that's that's the tough part too. I don't think that there's anybody in Hollywood that would that would do that movie. I'm gonna I'm gonna bridge that there are great <laughs> directors <laughs> that that could, but they won't because it's a genre film and stuff. But the people that they would get to do it, I don't see anybody having the imagination or the depth of personality to take something and try to build off of it and make something that would be worthwhile. My thing and is, not my question is, would the they bring? And my question is, would they bring in a Tomo as a as a consultant for whatever uh, you'd they get? An executive they producer to, to get the. I think I would. I wouldn't be surprised if they do that just to try and keep the fan backlash at a minimum. Yeah, they, like they to, bring like to, chill, like to chill to chill people out. You need to have a Tomo involved somehow because that's the first. That's oh, one of the yeah. first things people are going to bitch about. You know, it's yeah, like um, gotta be on board it's like uh uh. You know, James Cameron wants to go and redo Terminator. And I had a big debate with somebody on another podcast about he felt like, oh, he's going back to the well and he's run out of ideas. And I was, as a creator, I was on the complete opposite side of that. I thought that was exciting because would you want anybody else to do it? Or would you want the guy that... It's worked out well for Ridley Scott. I mean, like he made Prometheus, sure. came back to Alien. I, I love that. He's got Covenant coming out. I'm pretty excited mm-hmm. for it. I, I'm mixed about it, but the Blade Runner um, sequel that he's producing, I'm I'm very hyped for, it, man. Like I'm really happy. Oh my god, it, I'm I'm very excited about that because it's Ridley, because it's Harrison, and they're going to pass the mantle to was it Ryan Gosling is the other dude? Yeah, that guy that won't eat and, the cereal. Um, and you know, there's some material floating around that they released, and it looks fantastic. It looks like it's it's in the same vein of the original, and they're just expanding it a bit instead of trying to reinvent the wheel. They're 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 just blow. They're just pulling back the camera to show you a little bit more of that world. And I have of, to know, and I have to agree with you on Cameron because the man has not, in my opinion, has not made a, a watchable film since Terminator. Yeah, seriously. So, so he needs to him going back to the well is probably the best thing he could do in my opinion it might be actually something I mean yeah he's, he's yeah he was on record as say he hated what they did to the Terminator universe with the subsequent movies and who can blame him and he he probably has a million more ideas now I mean he created technology he waited you know how many what like a decade 15 years to do avatar cuz he waited for the technology to catch up with the movie he wanted to do so you know the guy is a visionary and maybe he can, you know, I have every confidence that he'll do something fresh and exciting and still pay tribute to the Terminator that everybody loves. And hopefully I mean, it'll be better? better than Avatar. And hopefully it'll be better. Yeah, who better? You know, who better than to, to, to do it? So it's, it's you know, I like, I like that these old guys are coming back and they're, and they're, you know, getting their, you know, rolling up their sleeves and getting back into the mix and really, you know, putting some kick-ass stuff out and really, you know, um, but with the Akira thing, man, I don't know. I, I just, it could be great or it could be a disaster. I'm kind of hoping yeah. since, um, yeah. 
The one good thing that came out of Ghost in the Shell flopping as bad as it did is it kind of maybe helped put that back on the shelf at least for a little while. I'm all, I am I have a little hope for um, Death Note. Netflix hasn't let me down so far, and I want to see mm. Willem Dafoe as Ryuk, but I'm also hoping that that fails just so Akira... That's not going to fail. It's a Netflix I, thing. That's what we'll get. I tell you what, what, I'm, what I'm, I love Death Note, and that trailer is disappointing me. I was just like, this is... That's whitewashed. Well, I hated, I hated, I hated the Japanese live action films. So I thought that they were awful. So I knew that Americans, America's not going to make a good Death mm-hmm. Note live action movie. The Japanese couldn't pull it off. There's no way we can. That's that's usually well, my the Japanese wouldn't even. The Japanese wouldn't even try to do a live action Akira. That's something that people need to realize too. So that's true. Well, you know what? That's the, the, a good. That's a good point. They don't put that kind of money into movies, though, man. Like fifty, um, fifty million dollars is still about the highest budget they'll go on their stuff. And to make Akira, you're gonna need, dude. You're gonna probably need to make a half a million dollar, a half a billion dollar movie to make it look good. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, hey. well, with well, if you think of the the uh, the visual aspect visual aspect of it, the architecture, I mean, they can they can make a cyberpunk setting that shouldn't be ridiculously expensive. I mean, they made the city in Ghost in the Shell look amazing, and that was you know that was some slick ass cyberpunk stuff with some gritty yeah but ghost in, the sh- ghost in the shell was a quarter of a billion dollars that's a 250 million dollar movie japan don't put that kind of money that's why the reason why like when they do do live action anime adaptations like they did with the attack on titan they made it all post-apocalyptic mm. and it kind of had cheesy sets that a lot of fans bashed on it about because there's no way they could have made it look like it took place in old school hall and like the anime and mm-hmm. without the, they just don't put that kind of money into their movies they don't have that big of a market for it where it, it could even come back with that because they're a small country so they, the, they, only they, way we're, the only way we're gonna get it in a movie like that is if it comes out in the u.s basically and mm-hmm. yeah unless we it's go- a joint unless it's a joint japanese u.s venture yeah unless we go over there which is which is what china has been doing yeah. China has been has been testing the waters like with the Great Wall with Matt Damon, which I couldn't I I, I couldn't sit down and watch. I just I tried. It was awful. It, it, was, it, it was awful. Yeah, I got bored, but that was um, that was uh, a lot was riding on that movie from what I read because it was a Chinese American uh, joint effort, and if it did well in the box office, then it would open the doors for more big budget Chinese productions because China's film industry. China's, you know, their their money is on the rise. Their their set their film industry is set to overtake ours by next year. Um, you know, if a film opens big in China, it can be a flop here. You could just not even give a crap what your movie does here. If it opens big in China, you made your money two, you two or three be, times over. But that's the thing, though. You got to be lucky enough. You either got to play their politic game and get the approval, mm-hmm. or you got to hope to be one of the twenty five movies that they picked to release um openly over there, which right. um. So I mean that, that that that's the gamble with the Chinese market. You either gotta you got either gotta win their favor and play their politic game like Disney and Marvel do, or you gotta mm-hmm. try to play play it straight and not make a movie with ghosts or anything that they deem offensive, which is basically right, everything. Right. And um, right. one if of the twenty five. Yeah, movies, if it's supernatural then if it's supernatural it has to be their mythology. It can't be anything else. It can't well, be see, like that, that's uh, another that's another problem with the, the with the Chinese market is um, the the limitations of the type of films that they're allowed to make. You either can make a propaganda film 
or a historical film. That's why everything mm-hmm. that comes out of Hong Kong and China these days is about flying Chinese people 2,000 years ago. And I, I'm, I'm bored of it, dude. That's why I watch Korean <laughs> yeah, and Japanese yeah. movies. Mostly. I used to be <laughs> and, a... And you know, what, you know what, guys? Guys, I'm sorry to cut you off, Johnny, but on that note, we've got to cut the show because we're getting ready. They're getting ready for another show coming up at uh, 10 o'clock, so we've got to get going. So, Pete, I do cool. want to thank you very much for uh, joining us for tonight. It was, Thanks, it was man. fantastic it was fun. having you on. And I look forward to your graphic novel, War Dogs, coming out. It looks like it's going to be amazing. Uh, thank definitely, you. Uh, if you. If you want to let... Let anybody, let everyone know while they're listening uh, where they can find you. Okay, you can find me on Facebook at Pete Hernandez the Third, or you can go to the event page and there should be a link there. You can go to triple uh, um, or you can go to goofysnacks dot com, which is my commercial portfolio site, which is g o o f e e s n a x dot com, and see tons of artwork there and get in touch with me through any one of those or follow me on Twitter and Insta- or follow me on Instagram. Uh, I am a war dog. Um, Twitter. I barely use because I don't really care for it. So you could, you know, definitely, you can definitely find me on Facebook at Pete Hernandez, the third and, uh, or email me off the war dogs page and we'll keep in contact. Sounds good. And uh, Johnny, I want to thank you again for uh, co-hosting tonight. I really appreciated having you here. And I want to give a special shout-out to our caller who called in and, and got the conversation rolling for the second hour. And I want to thank everybody for listening, and we will be back next week. You've been listening to the Zod Rider Show with our special guest tonight, Pete Hernandez III, on psn-radio.com. Woo. Good night, everyone. Good night. Classy.